Well, hi, everyone. We're here today speaking with Dr. Herman J. Williams, and he's the Managing Director and Chief Physician Executive at BDO USA, and he's written a fascinating book. It's kind of a memoir. It's called Clear, Living the Life You Didn't Dream Of, and uh, he's going to share that story today of a, a life-changing event that, uh, that happened to him when he was 31, and from that story, uh, the path of his life became very different from what he first thought it was going to be. So, Dr. Williams, thanks for being with us today. Sure. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And you can call me Herman. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sure. Sure. Well, you know, one of the things that I really find interesting in, um, in this business and radio is that people's stories are fascinating. And, mm-hmm. and things happen that uh, they don't expect. And this event that happened to you when you were 31 years old, that changed the course of your life. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us? What happened that day, and 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 how? What were you feeling at that moment? Well, let me give a little bit of a lead-in. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, like many people, I had a dream. You know, you set these dreams that seem to be unreachable, and and you know, here being so close to California, and you and I talked about your experience in Hollywood. My dream was to be the team doctor for the Los Angeles Lakers. I knew at that time that um, the Curl and Joe Clinic took care of all the Lakers and the Angels, and I had uh, rotated through the Curl and Joe Clinic with the team doctor for the Rams, Dr. Clarence Shields, and I had just, I mean, that was my dream. Um, but obviously, you got to carry out <laughs> what you got to do to make that happen. Uh, and, and so I kind of messed around like most people in college, and um, I just had one guy... Um, who ultimately became a life mentor, say to me, you just need to get your act together, buddy, and if you want to go to med school, do it. And without going into great detail, I you know, went back to school, literally, after I'd graduated college for another year, got all the training I needed, knocked the admission test out of the water, got into a great medical school, Boston University School of Medicine, uh, and at that time in 1988, uh, orthopedic surgery was like, you know, I would tell my friends, I want to be an orthopedic surgeon. They're like, you'll never be an orthopedic surgeon. The book talks a lot about that, about how people just, you'll never this, you'll never that. I didn't let any of that stop me. And I ultimately um, met a, just an incredible orthopedic surgeon, um, Dr. Augustus White, who is just world-renowned, um, took me under his wings. We published a paper, and boom, got into orthopedic surgery and had done three years of training, and I was ready to go. I was applying for my fellowship in sports medicine at the Curl and Joe Clinic. Hmm. And 30 days after I put in my application, I even called Dr. Shields. I said, be sure to look out for my uh, application. It's on its way. Um, I was playing basketball one day in Seattle with my wife and uh, and I just happened to be on an anesthesia basketball team. That will have significance later. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, literally, I just dropped dead um, in the middle of the game. And um, we were training at uh, Harborview Medical Center, which is one of the top trauma um, facilities in the nation. And, you know, that's all anesthesiologists do all day long is resuscitate people. So I was blessed, one, I brought my wife 
who was the scorekeeper, and she saw me, apparently I took myself out of the game, she saw me go down, started foaming at the mouth, and she screamed at the top of her lungs, and that was key because those guys would have just kept playing basketball, <laughs> and like God. an hour later, they would be like, hmm, Herman's what not moving. What happened to Herman, yeah. <laughs> so um, she screamed at the top of her lungs, and they ran over, and they started doing CPR right away, and that's when my life changed. <laughs> so the rest of that, that moment with those, with those other men in there, and so... Uh, how did they assess what was going on with you and figure out and get you and get you somewhere? After, that's a, you know, that's that a great question. So, you know, these are experienced physicians, all of them senior residents, and they would later tell me your pupils were dilated and you were turning blue. And we we're saying to ourselves, I don't know why we're doing this. He ain't going to make it. Uh, but they kept doing CPR. And the first... Um, emergency medical team came in and they put the defibrillator on me and this is why the book is called Clear because they said clear for everybody to get their hands away while we put on the paddles and the paddles didn't work Gosh. and so they had to start CPR again for another you know two or three minutes until the fire department oh. got there and they got their defibrillator and so you know, these guys are like this guy's going to be brain dead or you know but they were able to finally, the, the second defibrillator worked, and they were able to resuscitate me and got me actually to the hospital where I'd done my residency. So how long were you completely, like... You know, they were saying seven, eight minutes, which is a long time yeah. to be performing CPR. Yeah. So um, a little bit of blessing and luck and great technique, because you got to keep the blood going to the brain, yep. to the rest of the body, so... Um, I was I was oh, just fortunate. Yeah. Wow. That's <laughs> that's a that's a really kind of scary story to hear. All that seven minutes is a long time. Yeah. So um, so your life after that kind of started moving in a direction that you expected, but it also went in a direction that you didn't expect. Tell me about the yes. part that you didn't foresee. So, you know, it, it's just it was almost like a series of of comedy of errors, if you will. Um, I was blessed enough to be in the original clinical trials for the surgically implantable defibrillator. So, um, you know, the fact that I was able to have that, given the fact that I had a rare heart disease that they didn't quite know how to manage and we had trouble finding the right medication, having a defibrillator in 1991 actually prolonged my life because the first six months of having the defibrillator, I got shocked 45 times. So that's 45 times that I had a, a ventricular fibrillation arrest and the defibrillator fired until it got me in a normal rhythm. So, um, you know, just the pain and the stress, I was actually given the diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder because of the number of times I had been shocked, um, but at the same time, I'm alive. <laughs> so um, right. it was sort of a, it, it was just a, a little bit of good and bad, good and bad. And then it became clear um, to the people after they put the device in me that they said, you know, um, this device is a little sensitive to magnetic fields, which is why 
people who have defibrillators can't go in an MRI, as an example. Right, right. And every time you yeah. see a magnet, there's signs, don't go in there. You know? <laughs> so he goes, and I think the bovi that you use at surgery gives off a magnetic field. It's possible that the bovi could trip your defibrillator and you could get shocked while you're operating. So um, that was the end of my surgical career <laughs> right there. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. Uh, it just didn't make sense to have that liability. So there I was, you know, um, done. The dream went out the window. I couldn't be a surgeon of any type. Um, and I really kind of didn't No other specialty kind of really turned me on. So I had to go back and retrain myself again. Um, so I went to business school, and again, the bad part, the good part is there were no doctors in healthcare consulting at that time, and, and the whole healthcare consulting industry was going through a transformation where they were like, you know what, wouldn't it be nice if we had someone who knew about healthcare, <laughs> who was a clinician on our team? And so I immediately just rocketed a career in healthcare consulting. Um, and then, you know, just to just kind of bring us up to today, and one of my clients hired me in 2000, and I became a hospital uh, chief medical officer, and basically I did hospital operations for the last 18 years. Uh, and then in November of 18, I decided, you know, I'm going to become a healthcare consultant and use all that knowledge that I had to help other hospitals, other chief medical officers, and that's, that's where I am today. Diverge a little bit since yeah. the, the industry that you're working in has so many. I mean, it's changing mm -hmm. in, incredibly fast. Mm -hmm. And what do you see as some of the things that that what do you do in terms of consulting? And what do you see right. are some of the most prevalent issues today that need kind of uh, a bit of correction? Let's just say. You know, my focus is with uh, physicians, uh, physician education, leadership. So one of the transformations that is occurring is that physicians and nurses are having to really become more a part of the operational team and the strategy to be a successful hospital. It used to be, you know, the, the CEO would say, hey, you guys practice your medicine thing, and I'll run the hospital, I'll do the financial thing, and, you know, the two don't meet. But now to be a successful health system, you need to have cooperation and understanding of your physicians. And so a lot of what I do, my area is called medical staff transformation, is transforming those medical staff uh, members into leaders to be a productive part of the team and to begin to help the administration understand, you know, what is it that we need to do clinically so that we can be successful. So that's just one of the areas um, that's changing. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of... Um of our shows here at Voice America, they talk about the different aspects of leadership training and employee communications and all those kinds yes. of things. And, and, and in the world today, it's it's fascinating to me as the technology becomes more and more extensive, mm -hmm. the human side of dealing with, because everything's moving so fast, needs to also be accentuated. So in your position, helping you know facilitate cooperation, teamwork, communication is essential, especially right. in, in hospitals because you've got life and death situations happening on a daily basis. Correct, correct. So yeah. communication is key. Uh, the other thing you mentioned, I think, you know, healthcare is like 20 years behind everybody else in terms of technological adoption. But being able, I think the, the side effect of the technology 
And where we're at in the healthcare industry is it's taking away from clinical care. So a lot of people, they're spending so much time documenting, they're not spending that time with the patient. So helping folks adopt even new and newer, more efficient technology that has you do less work and spend more time focusing on either difficult cases or focusing on communicating and listening with the patient uh, is another value that you know we we're trying to bring in the in the way of what we call digital transformation. How do we get the hospital and physicians and providers to adopt new technology that is more efficient, takes less time, and allows you to focus on what you need to do? Well, that, I think that's a, from what I see. What needs to happen? You just hit on something. I think it's really essential: the the, the human side of of healthcare, the yeah. care part of it. Yeah. Healthcare. Mm-hmm. It's not just services. I mean, That's you're, right. You're, you're, it's, it, and the care, when you talk about care, it's talking about the human connection and people doing something right. for another person. Right. I, I believe there is a healing touch that we have not quantified, but I think depending on the relationship as an example that you and I have as a physician and a patient, right. that impacts your healing and your belief <laughs> in the fact that, oh, I'm going to be healthy and yeah, you did a great procedure. If I'm a, a jerk or I don't communicate with you or you're depressed and I don't recognize that and try and address that, that could halt healing. And so I think we miss that because we're so wound up in the technology and documenting, and et cetera. But in, the, in your book, you talk about something as a, as a transition, something called mm. the kindness scale. Yes. And I think that relates to this kind of care approach. So tell us a little bit about how you came yes. up with that. So the kindness scale is a component of what I call the ABCs of life. <laughs> and to explain that very briefly, I used ABCs because that's how we teach CPRs. A is for airway, B is for breathing, C is for circulation. And that's how you... Remember, and so for me, the ABCs of life, A is, is accepting your condition but not being limited by it, but really not denying it. So I have a cardiac abnormality that I'll have for the rest of my life, but I'm not going to let that define me. So accepting and understanding what that means. B is breathe, and breathing to me is symbolic of relaxation. So, you know, just before you do anything, take a deep breath and just, okay, let's approach this with a calm head. And then C is living a life of compassion. And I've had several people say to me, yeah, you know, I get the compassionate thing, but, I mean, I'm not compassionate. What is it? And I said, you know what, I'm going to come up with a kindness scale because I think it embodies compassion. Uh, and, and, again, to be brief, uh, there are four levels of the com- of the kindness scale, the first one is the most basic. It's a smile. And, and, and you can go out and test this. It's contagious. And you'll be walking. You'll do it be, in the checkout line all the time. Exactly. <laughs> you'll be, you know, right. I'm pissed. I'm caught up with something. And someone will smile at you. And you'll go, oh, well, thank you. That, I mean, yeah, that's what it's about. Yeah. It's about that human yeah. connection. Levels two and three are just actions, graduated actions that or kindness. It's opening a door. It's helping someone with a luggage. It's. I had a woman on that came on the airplane the other day. She's got a baby in her front pack. She's pushing a thing. She's got Gosh. a luggage with her other hand behind her, and everyone's watching. And I got up and I followed her to her seat. I helped her get settled. And people were like, oh, my God, that was so not." And I'm like, well, hello. <laughs> I mean, you know, you see it all the time because the mothers are traveling by themselves. Yeah. And 
So that would be a level two or a level three. And then the most kind act in the world is something like doing CPR, which I've experienced twice uh, in my 28 years since the initial cardiac arrest. And um, another example, my wife was telling me about a friend of hers in her Bible study group who donated her kidney to someone she didn't know. I mean, can you imagine, you know, we have two, but you never know if you're going to need that one. (laughs) To say, I'm going to give my kidney to someone I don't know has got to be the highest level of compassion and kindness. Wow. So that scale is in the book. It talks about how, you know, because you can say, I'm going to do three of these. I'm going to do three level ones, three level twos, and kind of get your way there. So, Wow. <laughs> well, that's, that's, uh, that's a, a, good, a good place to end. We, we've been speaking with uh, the author of Clear, Living the Life You Didn't Dream Of, and um, uh, Dr. Herman Williams. And uh, what's, your, what's the website that people can go to to find out more about you? You can go to clearlivingthelife.com. Clearlivingthelife.com. So check out uh, Dr. Williams' book on Amazon. Check out his website and for more of his story. And uh, thanks for being here today on Voice America, Dr. Thank Williams. You. I appreciate it very much. Sure, it's and, my uh, pleasure. you got a great story. Thank you so much.